Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Ryan, how you doing today? I am doing well, my friend. We are at long last. After much uh, setup, we are uh, talking about Kant, and we're going to not do this like consecutively uh as we are as we are wont to uh, to not do but we're beginning this little little period here of getting into uh Kant and what Kant means for psychoanalysis um for Freud who does reference him a couple times uh throughout the standard edition um and uh Joan Kopchak's made the the argument that uh Freud is the inheritor of Kant and so we really want to explore that idea uh, in subsequent episodes, and you have a take about the relationship between Lacan and Kant and Hegel, do you not, Todd McGowan? I do. Yeah, that's true. That's going to be in a soon to be. I think it's going to be released by the end of the year. A book at Cambridge on uh, Cambridge. A book I was originally going to write with Mari. She, I oh, wasn't. Nice. She was going to write that's it, and she she got me on board, and then uh, she died. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was not going to do it. I was, and then the editor convinced me to keep doing it. And and uh, so just an introduction to Lacan. But the the point that you're making is that my idea was that Lacan starts out as a Kantian, then he has a little period, nine year period maybe, where he's very Hegelian, and then mm-hmm. his at end of his life he goes back to this Kantian position. So that'll be something that we'll talk about as we work through the critique, especially I think the, uh, as we talk about the transcendental analytic, which is the middle part of the book will, mm-hmm. I think, interestingly correspond to the early period in Lacan's thinking. And then the transcendental dialectic, which is the end of the book really. And Joan Kopchak has made this point about the way that the antinomies of pure reason for Kant really, nicely coincide like it yeah. could be a coincidence or could it be a coincidence with the <laughs> right. the formulas of sexuation in Lacan so we we talked about that a little bit in our formulas of sexuation episode but we'll we'll delve into that quite a bit when we get to that although that's at the at the end of the line but I, but but yeah i think there that there's a real i think because of Slavoj Žižek and his importance uh for for understanding Lacan for a lot of people i think he gets Lacan gets associated with Hegel but i think that's a maybe too quick that i think mm-hmm. there's more the association with Kant is actually deeper so it will be interesting as we talk through Kant to think about that connection uh between between Kant and and Lacan for sure and Kant and Freud as you as you said is also a very important one yeah no it's just it, it's a uh... I, I think I we were on the phone I don't know a few months ago and just the uh, the idea for this you know we've been asked to cover uh, Kant by you know different people uh, over the years and we had the episode on Kant and freedom and you know he's come up in uh, concept episodes I think for sure but not like uh, we hadn't dedicated uh, a, a length of time to to look at his works um, and part of the reason why I wanted to do it because I think that just as you said there is an awful lot of like really good. Uh, writing of which you are of no small part uh, about uh, you know tie, making this this tie uh, between uh, Hegel and psychoanalysis or like taking out this thread of um, Hegelian thought and psychoanalytic thought yeah. and 
I know that you, th- I mean, you just wrote this in this, this book that you've, you've, you've referenced. And I know you think this, that like, there's a lot to be gained. I mean, obviously we're on the, you know, uh, we're in the tank for the dialectic. That's just like, that's, that's, how, that's, that's on, that's the show. That's where, that's where we're right. at. But right, right. there is, I, I think there's quite a lot to be gained from like really going over Kant, trying, trying to be close to how to read him, how to understand him, how to understand him in light of his incorporation into psychoanalytic thought and into the kinds of questions and, and, I don't know modalities that that we tend to think through uh, on on this podcast. So to to put it in in a more in a more plain way, I think that there it's it's far more fruitful to and again I mean I mean this in the nicest way possible. It's far more fruitful I think for to make uh, Kant in some way the villain of uh, of of some positions in psychoanalysis than anybody else like another right. analytic right. thinker right. like like you know it's or 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 like a or a you know so-called post-structuralist thinker like i i just think uh and and, and again i mean it with the absolute greatest well, de- in deepest Hitchcock's respect way right that that the villain makes the picture right, right? because like the, and yeah, as yeah. and i'll bring you back to the like the, what he says is the more successful the villain, the more successful the picture, and who is yeah. more successful than Kant? And and, and yeah. uh, you know, so yeah. so I yeah. just think there's a lot to be gained here, and I don't think that there's a ton of conversation amongst our people bringing you know Kant into play and like what he, what he means and where he can be incorporated or where there are the the red lines. Uh, certainly, I think it's e- it's easier to tell I think the red lines between Kant and Hegel, of course, but then there are the red lines. In incorporating a uh, Kantian psychoanalytic approach and a Hegelian one, and it's I, I think it's because I don't know maybe it's because Joan and uh, Slavoj are such good friends that this never happened. But yeah, like, that's a great thesis. It's a great yeah, thesis that, yeah. that 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 they neither of them wanted to play up just how opposed their readings of Lacan really were. I mean, yeah. because in one sense they're not. They're they, they're yeah. both trying to do something that's parallel but it's 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 really like you pick you pick if you want to say lacan is a kantian versus you want to say he's a hegelian that's there's a big difference between that and yeah. i think that's that's where they they both come down i think the other thing i want to say is that that as we talk about kant it will be clear i think two things that seem like they're contradictory right that on the one hand He's very, very close to Hegel, but on the other hand, the break between them is also very yeah. uh, severe, right? Yeah. So, so there's this. I, I love this. Do you know this? I'm sure this joke. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard it, but that this, this idea that I tried to read Hegel but found out that I can't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like what's great about that joke is it gets at the way that Hegel has been Kantianized by a whole series of contemporary. I call them, I didn't invent this term, but the recognition Hegelians, right? Mm-hmm. That they're, they're the ones that, that uh, so it's, it's like Robert Pippin, Robert Brandon, this guy Robert Williams. And I have this little joke in my book on Hegel. There's actually some that aren't named Robert too. <laughs> uh, but but the, 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 um, the point is that, 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 they're, that what they're doing is a, and we can talk about this as we go along, so they're through, bringing yeah. Hegel into the, Kantian orbit, basically, or thinking about him in Kantian terms, because what they're doing, and I think this speaks to what 
concept to in the preface is that they are seeing Hegel as a thinker about regulative normative normativity, right? And so, like, what is it? What 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 are the rules that govern our po- the conditions of possibility for experience? And that's what Kant is interested in. He's saying, look, if we the way he starts the preface is by saying we have these metaphysical questions and we in the attempt to answer them he thinks we we go too far for one thing we haven't answered them successfully in the entire history of philosophy which he says is a is an issue a problem he's going to which he's going to put the quietus on right like <laughs> these all these great metaphysical questions haven't been answered uh, i'm going to answer them i appreciate the the arrogance of that i i think it's deserved in yeah. this case yeah uh and then he, but then he also says we can't help ourselves, right? Like we mm-hmm. we're constantly going too far, and that's how we get into trouble, uh, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I think I think that's great. Uh, and a nice little a nice little introduction. You know, I just want to say before I ask you to uh, before pull pull ourselves back and uh, and and look at what was uh, in pre-critical Kantian thought that is uh, relevant for for here or lays the groundwork here groundwork being a very important word uh, you know you could have been a lot meaner to the to the Roberts you could have said that the the Roberts to Hegel are Bob to Twin Peaks <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then you're making them into a great I, I, I'm not I, sure they're that good of a no, villain. No, actually. no, no. That's, that's what I said. I said you could have been yeah. meaner. That's 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 yeah. that's my you know. Yeah. And, and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't fit obviously. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah. I'm just. I mean, it's interesting that, that Kant is not just not just going to. I mean, we say villain in a nice way, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he's a villain in a really mean way for all this new realism, like Canton Meassu, Graham Harmon, these mm. guys. For them, Kant's the real. He's the real bugbear because yeah. he's the one that turns – and we'll talk about – actually, we'll talk about this later because it, it – actually, one of the ways that Kant describes himself, they all take issue with. But he turn, they think he turns – he makes all of thinking, all of uh, uh, these philosophical questions about subjectivity mm-hmm. and not about objects and the world and reality. And so that's the – that's why he's the he's the villain for them and villain again in a bad sense. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So that's so so yeah. So I think that that he is uh, the the kind of turn that he makes with this book in the history of thought is 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 really a remarkable one. Uh, and we will uh, we'll slow play it as we uh, yeah. as we did and as we did as we did with the uh, phenomenology of spirit. We're going to start with the preface. Uh, episode, which is this one, and go over more how to read and and also how to, uh, in an initial way, understand Kant's place in this uh, web of, uh, of 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 theory that we often talk about. So my um, my first question, Tom McGowan, for you yes. to kick to kick us off here. Yeah, I anticipated it a second ago. What anticipates this? What anticipates this turn in in Kant's writing and his thought? Yeah. What before yeah. is worthwhile thinking about? Yeah. So Kant's 57 when he writes, this is his first major, major book. I mean, he wrote books that were 100 pages long, 120 pages long, something, but not a major text. Uh, this is mean so to the very, faces, but it's a little like Rod Stewart, is it not? It's a little like, although, yeah, was Rod Stewart that old when he No, he wasn't that out? old, but I just mean, you know, he did the work with, 
Yeah. He had, and then and then he exploded as a as a solo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I yeah. mean, but he was. I, there, I don't think there's a parallel where a thinker has such a late birth, basically. As a, yeah, we've as thought a, about. We tried to do this before. We haven't come up with. We haven't come yeah, up with I, something. I don't think we. I don't think we can. Like yeah. I think it's. I mean, Lacan would maybe be close because. Yeah, he's very close, actually. I mean, interesting because Mirror Stage is published in '49, and he's in his late 40s and then the seminar doesn't start till he's in his 50s but right. he was already known as an yeah. I don't know maybe maybe he would be the so it's interesting to think of him <laughs> as a sort of yeah. contemporary Kantian because he he had the same so the point is write your good books early and then you won't fall into this Kantian trap um anyway <laughs> uh yeah i think that the i think that, that one of the things that's interesting about Kant is that there's not really a precursor so he wrote a couple of things. He wrote what was known as the inaugural dissertation, which was basically his dissertation, uh, which was pretty long, but not really, uh, but focused on on uh, developing a rational metaphysics. So he was mm-hmm. a he was a metaphysician in the uh, Leibnizian tradition made popular by this guy, Christian Wolff, who people don't really know today, but but at the time was a really well-known Leibnizian thinker. So there's basically this line of thought, this rationalist line of thought devoted to exploring reason as the key to the world. And then there's this thought mainly coming from Britain of empiricist thinking, John Locke, David Hume, et cetera, Berkeley. And, and that is, that's Hobbes pushing from... The, the sensibility and, and, and sense experience as what determines everything that we think, right? And mm-hmm. so none of so, – so Kant has an early work on negative magnitudes, which is interesting but not in any way presaging the critique. The one book that people say, maybe this one does. He wrote a book called The One Possible Argument for the Existence of God. And, of course, it's odd because in the – Critique. I'll I'll use these terms as synonyms. So it's the critique of pure reason. It's known also as the first critique. People say that all the time. Mm-hmm. So in the first critique, he, he famously attacks every proof for the existence of God. Mm-hmm. So in this, he has. I think it's a version of the, what's known as the ontological proof, which is like if we can think of God. Kant's point is if we can think of the possibility, then there that that's a kind of proof about God's existence, which later he would not accept that but so but he does demolish the other proofs in a way that he's kind of pointing to the critique but 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 my my basic idea is that and this isn't just my idea that i think this is the standard this is the doxa is that he writes up until 1760 sorry 1770 mm-hmm. and then for 11 years he doesn't write and publishes nothing so this, and it's known as the silent decade. I was reading a very Henry Allison is, I think, the great Kant scholar. He's not. He's also funny. So he says. <laughs> so you're predisposed for some to reason, liking him. Yeah. <laughs> for, right. I, that's true. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so he goes for some reason because I think Kant scholars can't count. We call this the silent decade because it's eleven <laughs> years. That's nice. But, but it's uh, anyway. Uh, the, it's the an eviscerating critique of Kantian mathematics, uh, it, as well, it which is we'll get exactly to. Actually, that yeah. yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, anyway, the, the 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 there's this set in the 1770, then critique of pure reason published in 1781, and then Kant. It, it wasn't like oh. 
quietly publish this little book. You know, no, everyone right when it was published recognized this is an incredible breakthrough. And the breakthrough really was, he doesn't mention this in either of the prefaces, but the breakthrough really was, there's this rat, like I just described, this rationalist tradition, this empiricist tradition, and Kant says, wait a minute, we can actually, they're both wrong. Mm-hmm. And we, if we think them together and we divide the understanding through which we conceptualize the world from the sensibility through which we re- perceive and receive impressions from the world, we divide those, then we can solve all these problems of philosophy and we don't have to pick between rationalism and empiricism. So that was the great, great part of the great breakthrough of uh, the first critique. Mm, that's, that's a very, very nice setup how we got here. What's uh, what's in this, and what, what to what to to pick out? Um, I think one of the things that uh, just to I, I don't know. I've heard this is helpful from from some listeners, so I'll tell you. This is my third run. This is my third run at this book, but this yeah. is like kind of the first time that I'm looking at it with uh, with these eyes. Uh, I've tried uh, a long time. In fact, actually. I had a, 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 a mini version of that same pun joke you mentioned earlier, the, the Hegel one. Um, yeah. My, I gave a co- the copy of this book that I had that I read very lightly to the fact that it, it basically it looked like a new book. I gave it to a friend of mine, my friend Tim, who listens to this podcast. Hey, Tim, and I, I inscribed it something like, um, I like I, I I I hope dearly that you can read this because I simply can't. Like that's what I wrote in my little inscription <laughs> to him. Um, right. And so, coming back at this a third time, and uh, and you know preparing for the show, uh, has been really really fascinating. I I find that you're you you use that word the um uh, there's an there's a an, an an earned arrogance to the way that he writes that I find really interesting. Like he is trying to set up big questions, and he's trying to like there there yeah. is nothing bigger to him than this. Uh, how he's going to get at reason, understanding, intuition, perception, ideas. And it's, uh, I don't know, like I, 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 I like... There are certain I, I like certain books that you know take on like much smaller uh, questions and like you know really explode the complexity of something very yeah. tiny. But I I yeah. just I have such a I have such an attraction particularly to, to this period to the you know the Fichte, Schelling, Hegel, Kant. You know what we talked about like the taking on like the biggest things that we can think. Right. And um, one of the things that he uh, wants to weigh in on of the biggest things we can think. Is uh, the idea of of the limit and yeah. and uh, and the ground to being, which is how he understands uh, metaphysics? Uh, how so? I think this would, this would be important um, when because he talk he talks about uh, throughout the uh, the two prefaces, and maybe it's worth spending a moment on why there are two, yeah, um, and what the second one accomplishes that the first didn't. Um, but there, he's 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 coming at the question of uh, of, of metaphysics as a, as a as a grounding one, and I mean that as, as as a bit of a pun because that is the the ground to being, but it's also the ground for his inquiry, right? Like that's where yeah. where he starts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he so there are two there are two prefaces because there's a 1781 edition of the critique, and then there's a 1787 edition. And he felt the need to publish the 
second edition, I think largely because there were people that interpreted the first edition as Kant being more skeptical about mm-hmm. our ability to understand and relate to the world than he believed he was being. So he felt like he was being too much assimilated into the camp of George Barclay and this idea of, look, all we can know are our own ideas and we don't ever deal with actual things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he really is in the second edition. So he added, the, he, he rewrote a lot of things. But the one thing he added was a little section called The Refutation of Idealism. And it's mm-hmm. directly an attempt to attack Barclay's position and say, Barclay thought all we ever relate to our own, our own perceptions, right? There's nothing outside, like nothing sustains these perceptions when we're not perceiving them other than God perceiving them. So mm-hmm. everything just is the perception of something, right? Um, and most people who are, follow Barclay today just take out the God part. So it's just this utterly solipsistic philosophy that Kant yeah. will call idealism. It's se- separate from German idealism right. that, that Kant will call. It. He, so refutation of idealism is not obviously not the refutation of German idealism, but of this Barclayan kind. So he adds that, but every other thing, he's just he's just he's just making modifications, like writing this other preface. Mm-hmm. That, and then he the one thing he really changes, and this is another area he kind of changed his mind. Well probably spend a whole episode on this is what he called the transcendental deduction. So there's a very famously an, an a transcendental deduction and a B transcendental deduction, just like there's an a preface and a, and a Mm -hmm. B preface. And you can definitely see the difference, but that's what I think that's the main motivation for the second edition was I don't want to be perceived as being skeptical about the existence of, of the external world or, uh, 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 being linked linked in with skeptical philosophy as such. So I think that's the main driving thing and I I also think that the in the B the sec the 87 uh edition he's able to he, th- his ambition I think actually comes through and you can see there's much more attempt to clarify what he's up to but but you're right the metaphysics so so metaphysics is a term that comes from the Greek and it's it's odd how we've gotten it to describe the philosophy of these fundamental questions because mm-hmm. so Aristotle did do you know this? I don't know. I did not know this for a long time. So I, I wonder if you know this, how we okay. got the term metaphysics. Let's do it. Okay. So so <laughs> Aristotle, sorry, it's just a, no, it's okay. I find it I find it pretty fascinating and, and mm. it's a little afield, but um so Aristotle writes the physics, right? And then mm-hmm. there's another book that's after the physics that's about these ground questions about what makes all this physical reality possible. Mm. Not titled, right? So, oh, okay. so the, the editors of Aristotle said, well, it's, it comes after the physics. Meta in Greek means beyond, right? Wow. So they just called it the metaphysics. So that's it's amazing. The, it's, I know. So it's so it's not it's not like a I mean it, it's a case where there's a certain contingency in the origin of the term, but it's actually, it's a pretty appropriate term because it's about, you kept using the term ground. That's exactly yeah. what it's about. It's about yeah. what is the ground of our being. So what's the ground? Like, is it, so the questions for Kant, there are three metaphysical questions. Is there God? Is there 
freedom and is there a world? That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the, so that's the, that's for him the metaphysical, can, can we answer those metaphysical questions? That's the whole wager of the book. So amazing. So part of the reason why I went into this is um, I, uh, to protect the identity of the person who there's no way they listen or they, whatever, but I, in a, uh, I won't say where this was in, in one of the places I went to grad school, but I took a, uh, a class in, um, uh, it was in 19th century American literature. Okay. And uh, it, the class was going to focus on um, Emerson and Thoreau and Whitman. And, okay. uh, you know, Whitman being this, like, a, a, particularly the lesser read section, or at least this was what the the professor claimed the lesser read section of leaves of grass called drum taps, which okay. is when he was a, a medic uh, during the civil war. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, the, uh, but in the title of the class um, was the phrase transcendentalism, like American transcendentalism. Right. And on the first day we're talking about the relationship like Kant, Emerson and Kant, right? Like, the, like so Kant good was question. a yeah. Hu- yeah. huge, huge figure, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, for, for Emerson. So, yeah. but here was the thing, was this uh, particular student had a confusion about metaphysics and transcendentalism. Okay. And I overheard this, this, this person saying that what they thought the class would be about would be like uh, beyond physics, like as in the scientific discipline, and the and transcending as a like a person, like spiritually, like a yep. more of a, like a more of like an Eastern yeah, mysticism yeah. kind of thing. That was sure. that was their whole thing. And I yeah. so anyway, I just find it re- I find it really fascinating that like over time and I, I don't I don't know how common or not that person's confusion is but I want to validate it by saying I'm sure some other people would think yeah. the same thing about those words um, yeah. but uh, they ended up dropping the class because it wasn't what they, <laughs> it wasn't what they thought, <laughs> thought it was going to be so that's sort of the end of that story <laughs> but too bad. it is too bad because they yeah. they learned something but that was the thing was that like to um, you know to this person I, I think it's easy to say this like it is like, like that's so funny I didn't know that like meta being beyond like as in like the next of the text physics yeah, and yeah, not the next, not like, um, Oh, I don't know. Like what, if you're being really literal about it, like the things that happen to the laws of nature when you're around, yeah, a black be like, hole how do we get the something? laws of nature or yeah. how do we get, how do we get nature at all or something yeah. like that? I mean, that would be the question, right? Like how, how, yeah. why, or, or, I mean, this is the famous question by Leibniz. Why is there something rather than nothing? Right. Yeah. Like, right. Right. But what do you call that as a, as a discipline, it's just, I mean, I think metaphysics is fine, actually. Yeah. I think it's pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. As a, but as, it is, it's, a, as, it's interesting about that word beyond, though, because yeah. it, yeah. um, in the, well, there, there I, you go. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Like, cause it, in, in the literal sense of when it was first used, it meant after. Um, right, like and yeah, well, it can mean both in can, Greek, but but so, that's the so, it's on that hinge, which I think yeah, is, it is, it is, yeah. right, correct, correct, and, and, and I, I think that that you're right. So so that's where that's why it's so fascinating about the story you told because Kant really, I think one of the ways, and I think this is actually why he wrote the second edition <laughs> ultimately <laughs> because I think he wants to really make the distinction between what's transcendental. And what's mm-hmm. transcendent, right? Yeah, and I think that's that that's 
and the words that this is a case where there's no translation issue at all. The words are just it's the same word in in German and and English. And I think that that I think that that's really significant. So, and I think it does come to, back to this question of metaphysics, right? Like the the transcendental is what shapes and 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 is conditions the possibility of experience for us. Mm-hmm. Whereas the transcendent is way up. It's like, that's what that student wanted from the class. Yeah. Like yeah. they were getting the transcendental. They wanted the transcendent. And <laughs> exactly. that's what, exactly. I mean, and Kant's saying like, look, sorry, I'm going to write a book depriving you of the transcendent to give you the transcendental, like yes. to give you what shapes the possibilities of experience. But in order to do that, we have to rule out and not talk about this thing. That's what we might imagine to be transcendent because it's just, we, it's, I mean, in a way Kant thinks, if it's transcendent, sorry, it's really transcendent. We can't talk about it at all. <laughs> right. And it comes back to like the Wittgenstein, what we what we can't speak of, we must pass over in silence, right? Like yeah. Kant just thinks it's transcendent, it's it's a, it's there's no it's no issue for us. Yeah. No, it's a right, what is it? Um we were talking about this that uh you only gain freedom when you uh, uh when you realize you can't answer it and you don't try. Is that like that's Kant's position? Right, in, in yeah. the, certainly in the theoretical text, that's true. Right, yeah. like that there, that you that there's no way to theorize freedom metaphysically. For yeah, him. right. That, that, well, I mean, be, that's one of the because things, yeah. because, and I want to I want to hit hit on this. This is this is what I was trying to get to is that like the idea of of the. And maybe no one's confused by this. Maybe this was just I saw this happen, and I'm like projecting, and maybe you know, uh, as a as an introduction, as an introduction to an introduction kind of episode, which is this is the idea. This is like how do you begin to begin like reading this yeah. text and thinking this text. Yeah. So just as as a way of like a, a lot of deck clearing here, is the metaphysical thing is uh, for for Kant. It's it's before. It's not after. That's why. That's what I was trying to get at. Like as much as right. it is, is it, it's it's addressing a like a, a, a beyond. It is also the ground that he wants to talk on. It's not uh, like a. Well, this would be like a literal and incorrect. But as far as the the words are concerned, would not be a wrong uh, approach. Is that we have the physical interaction. And int- intuition of something, and then the metaphysics are what's beyond that immediate thing. And then the point is the we're actually we're looking at it backwards. Right. If, if were you to uh, apprehend it that way, what we really want is the grounding. You're looking at the ground before you have what you think is an immediate interaction with something or apprehension yeah. of something. Yeah, incredible. That's perfectly put. That and and and, and it's interesting because Henry Allison, uh, I'm going to cite him a lot. He wrote a book yeah. called a book on called uh, Kant's Transcendental Idealism, which is it's very hard, but it's amazing. It's the best book written on Kant, I think. Uh, and he wrote a great book on the, the practical Kant too, critique of practical mm-hmm. reason, called Kant's Theory of Freedom. Also amazing. Uh, and but this is in neither of those books. He 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 makes the point. That um, that that exactly what you're saying that Kant's method is what he calls an analytic. So it's not dialectical, but it's an analytic method, which means it's going backwards to what nice. is the ground for things, right? So nice. that's what when Kant says my method is an analytic one, that's what he means. It's an it's breaking down things to see what's 
what's at the root of them, what makes them possible. That's he, He'll continually say this line, what are the conditions for the possibility of experience? And so a lot of the proofs Kant will use are, well, are we doing it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like yeah. that's how yeah. we know that's we nice. can do it because we're doing it. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's a that's for Kant, and that's a and and out what Allison's point is is that's an analytic kind of proof, right? Because it's not a it's not a proof that's moving forward through some kind of synthesis, mm-hmm. but it's a proof moving backwards from okay, what are we actually able to do, and then so we know that that must be that must be true. There must be something that makes that possible, right? There has to be. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's there's something really, really compelling and smart about that. I think that that what you just described that like that moving backwards method, and I think it will be incredibly influential on Hegel subsequently. I mean, I yeah. think that that that's what dialectics is ultimately. I mean, his Hegel's method isn't analytic; it's dialectic. But I think mm-hmm. that that it's the same trajectory. Yeah, right? it's that, that same I, moving backwards. Yeah. I would I, I would say that it's um, you know this is kind of funny we'll get to I mean we'll get to the um, the Lacan of it all but maybe in a, in a future episode or, or toward the end here but it is um, I, so I do a little bit in my uh, I've written a little bit about it's not published yet but um, uh, Lacan and the quilting point and the way that he actually writes about it um, the quilting point as an idea I don't know if we've done a whole episode on it or not I, I can't remember um, but the uh, is often rendered as like this, like the period at the end of the sentence. This uh, this this spot where retroactively it, it allows for um, meaning to emerge. And the um, I think probably most famously in Zizek's writing is he talks about the 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 idea of the the, the ending, like the ending to a film. And or uh, and and the example he uses in looking arise the end to uh, Casablanca. I know we've talked right. about this before, so I'm not going to yeah, go into yeah, that yeah. whole that yeah. whole thing yeah. again. What what Lacan? So you would think so that sound so that would be a consonant Kantian concept, right? Like like in this analytic way, almost this yeah. this is moving backwards. But what Lacan actually writes, and this is in this in his early period that you you've identified as a uh, as being a Kantian period, and I think that it's. Uh, I just think this is kind of like a fascinating thing is what he writes actually writes about the quilting point is that it should change meaning retroactively and prospectively. And that part yeah. I do a little bit about that has kind yeah. of come, it's kind of fallen out, but here's the thing to, to, to support what you're saying about him being Kantian in this early period is he just completely abandons this idea. Like he just, right. he proposes right. it. It's, it's, you know, it's in, uh, that's in seminar two, right? And seminar three. Seminar oh, seminar three. three sorry. Yeah. sorry. Oh, yeah, it's in psychosis. Oh, yeah, of course, it's in psychosis. Yes, yeah, in psychosis. So, um, and then it just it doesn't it doesn't come up again. Uh, yeah. But it, it, anyway, so like there, like but that would be the I think that would be if you were looking for because it does sound really Hegelian and we've been talking about it. Like oh, there's a retroactivity in. Kant's thought. So what's the what's the difference? And I think it would be that retrospective and prospective, those are the words that Lacan uses, it moves in in sort of both directions for Hegel. And I and I for for here, there's no need for it to move in a forward direction because what we're looking for is the ground of yes. that intuition right. or experience in the first place. So what 
purpose is there for thinking of a prospective relation when what we're looking at is the ground for that relation to have happened at all? And I'm now underlining the word relation. It's something I think we should, we should talk about. That's a big, yeah. that's a big thing here, and it's a big thing for Joan Kopchak too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think you're it's you're really hitting on such a crucial thing because the whole this is true of the whole a preface, the whole preface to the first edition, right? Like it's all just about these metaphysical questions that he thinks can the scandal for him is that metaphysics hasn't made any progress. Yeah. And he thinks it can, unlike other sciences, and he thinks it can make progress and he's going to, the progress is going to be with him. Right. So I think that that's the whole point of the, and, and, and because he's going to make this move from transcendent to transcendental, or you might say even from the, the, from the, the, the ground, from the, sorry, from the, 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 the meta back to the ground, right? Like yeah, from nice. the beyond to the ground, right? That's, yeah. I think, so I think that's the real, the real, uh, issue for Kant that, 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 that metaphysics has gotten preoccupied with these unanswerable questions and hasn't seen that really, if it looks at what grounds our existence, then it would actually see that the, 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 the questions are, they're false. They're, 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 they're false. They're, they're, they're insoluble, insoluble problems ultimately. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, no, it's 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 fascinating, and and so like he again, just want to try to 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 bring this up for the uh, for the listener, like because I this is a you know a, a basic question that gets uh, ignored a lot. It's like what problem is he trying to solve? Like why why is this, yes. why is this book happening in the first place? This was always like when whenever I took. Um, uh, philosophy classes or in in undergrad or or when you learn about like in high school in history classes you like in, in you get like this i you'll get the the history of like certain major ideas you know like we we kind of brought this up in the Machiavelli episode yeah. um and that'll get sort of like dropped in to um, like standardized schooling, and what's never there, what's always there is that this happened, and what's never there is wh- why, <laughs> like why, right, why, right. why did that, why, why right. that in that moment, and I think that's a, a, an important thing for us here is like, like why, why is, why is Kant on this, and you could, you might even imagine in this like, um, in this eleven year decade where he didn't write anything, had me- yeah. met- metaphysics made more progress in. Shaping the way more people saw the everyday, maybe he doesn't write this at all. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah it's and fascinating. It's an right. inter- interesting uh, what if in the right. Marvel comic sense of the of, of the world. Yeah. You know, like what if Kant doesn't write the first critique? Like, what you know, what what happens? But he he does, and he did, and this is the the reason why. Like as you're as you're pulling out, is that he he sees this. Uh, might be. Tell me if you think this is a good way of phrasing it. He sees that there that there is a like contemporary to him writing this a limit to the effectiveness of metaphysics that is not a limit in concept. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And and and, and he thinks metaphysics can un, unfurl mm-hmm. and prove even the fundamental concepts that determine our our experience. Right, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's the idea that 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 what he he will call the categories are right. just these fundamental concepts. So so that's what metaphysics should be preoccupying itself with, 
And then there'll be nothing left to be discovered. That's how he ends the first preface. Like, there's nothing left. I got it. And the <laughs> right, other thing yeah, I want to... It's amazing. It's, it's, it's I'm amazing. Gonna look, right? I'm going to look it up exactly. It's, Please keep talking. It's because I want to yeah, yeah. read it. It's an it. amazing line. Yeah. And then and the other thing I think is really interesting about this, and then we'll move on to the, the more substantial preface, mm-hmm. the second edition one, uh, is that he says, you know, I could use examples and illustrations, but... Look, I'm not writing for a popular audience, so I'm just not going to do that. And I right. think, uh, <laughs> to me, I, I, for one thing, I think that's annoying. Uh, and and it, that's an interesting contrast with Hegel, right? Like Hegel loves the example and the illustration, yes, because he thinks it's actually through the example or the illustration that we come to realize the contradiction. Yeah, that's in mm-hmm. the concept. And that the concept can actually hide. And I think it's maybe the difference between a dialectical method and Kant's analytical method is the status of the illustration or the example, right? Like the That's nice. Although the second critique, to be fair, the critique of practical reason, loves its examples. So and has very a couple of very famous ones. Uh but I think I think when you're moving back to the ground, the example doesn't help you get there. Right? It's, no. just, it's just kind of unnecessary thing that I'm using because people are dumb. Right? It's, but it, it's yeah. you know th- I just found this point. It's really fascinating. I found this um, uh, to reference it for the second time. I found this when I was writing my book that there were sometimes I thought I found the examples really helpful in total conformity with the uh, the under the unstated Hegelian yeah. thesis, right? Yeah. And then there were other times where I was trying to. Uh, uh, explore an idea. I'll just give. T- t- I'll make a concrete example of of, of, of this, which is the um, the way that the uh, particular underwrites uh, the function of social media. And I w- uh, I wanted to sort of tease this out that it doesn't really matter what is being said. Um, what is being reinforced again and again on social media is that. Uh, the uni- universal or the universality doesn't exist, and it's just the particular. The, this like right. insistence and repetition right. of the particular. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what I found was when I tried to do examples of this, that I was like, you know, this just takes away from the point. Every time I do an example, because it is the logic the of the particular. particular. Because yeah. exactly that, yeah. like it would be easy for some yeah. reader to be like, okay, well then that's not the same as this other one, so you right. can't carry the concept. For, and 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 right. so I came up against uh, the 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 Kantian thing here, which I I think in, yeah, I think in, that's what he. I think that's yeah. why he doesn't want to use the example. I think it's yeah. exactly exactly right that that he finds the example. It's contagious. Right. Yeah. Like once you get That's one, nice. then you're going to be overrun by the particular. Like I'll say, breeds other particulars, and then you miss this universality of the way our our psyche works. Yeah, you know, our subjectivity works. So I think that that's a real. That, that's a that's a it's not it's not just arbitrary and the fact that Khan is a bad writer he's a bad writer, <laughs> um, but it's not just because of that he doesn't use examples. I think there is really a a reason, and then okay, let's turn to the. Go ahead to the. I couldn't quickly find the line, so I got I got over it. He just says he, but it is true. Like uh, if you if you can find it quicker than than I was able to, uh, it's it's just it's just a, such a great line that that he, what, there's no once he once he does this, there's just there, there's nothing else uh, to be said. Yeah, it's, there's it, nothing else to be done. I, I can't yeah. find the exact line. Yeah, either. yeah. But um, but but in the second, so in the second one, in the second, the B. 
preface, it's he go he leans much more into the failure of metaphysics relative to other sciences, and especially mm-hmm. relative to logic. Sorry, relative to mathematics, right? Like that right. that mathematics is able. He even talks about physics a little bit, but mathematics is able to make these great leaps because it's and and this is the key I think for him that it's able to limit itself to its own to our intuitions and not try to think beyond that, right? Like I think that's like he Mm, really mm. is he's caught up on this idea that progress occurs through limitation, not through expansion. Yeah. And I, I think that that, I mean, that'll be everything for him. Like his whole idea of freedom, everything mm-hmm. is in that idea that the limit is actually a productive limit. And I, I, I don't think he's wrong about that. I think that, mm-hmm. don't you think that Hegel really takes that and just runs with it? In a yeah. Way? Yeah. He, no, he totally does. I mean, for the difference for Hegel is that it's um, the, the limit, the limitation is fully incorporated, I, right. I, I would say, right. into. Right. Yeah. I mean, into everything, but also like, I think he would say the limit is 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 incorporated into it itself. You know, like it, it, it right. it's right. yeah, right, and, right. The, the, and he, like like for Kant, the limit is. Couldn't you just say this that for Kant, the limit is external? Yeah, and for Hegel, the limit is internal. Nice to yeah. his I, system. I, I think that's that seems right to me, and and I think that that there's a big difference in that. But it's it the also, difference, Todd. It's the difference between. I, uh, I want to know what you think about that. I think it's the difference between Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks, where the uh, yeah. W- yeah, where the limit yeah. of the world is is you know Frank in Blue Blue Velvet. Yeah. It's, it's it's sort of yeah. external, whereas in Peaks, it's it's internal to it's internal to, to the whole thing. Yeah, right. uh, you don't so think, that, but you don't think Frank. So you think that's a weakness of Blue Velvet? I I think I would. I think it's a. I think it's a not a surprise to me that uh, Lynch did TV after he did that, because I think this this would be. I mean, this is my, one of my my little yeah. my little hobby horses. I think the serial form allows you to have something internal to the, internal to the world, in a, yeah, in a, yeah, yeah, in a in a way that a, a standalone film you yeah, but, are okay, forced. Okay. Yeah, that's what I would say. I hear you. I you hear care. you. But isn't isn't Spike Lee the great exception to that? Nice. Like, isn't like isn't Aren't all of his films really like they're all confined, right? Like do the right thing. There's just this one little block, basically. Yeah. Uh, Bamboozled. This is one television studio, basically. Yeah. Uh, Summer of Sam. This one little neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking of the masterpiece. Inside yeah. Man. Just this one bank, right? Sure. Inside Man's great because, isn't it about? Like is is are any of Lee's films Kantian? Like, is there one of those yeah. films where the limit is actually this external thing that's that we have to recognize? And then, like, no, because maybe there's some, but I I, I wonder what they would be because Inside Man certainly the the limit isn't like the the thieves are part of the hostages, right? Like that's the <laughs> yeah, great. right, right, right. And then and then the one thief that's not walls himself in, up inside of the bank. To avoid detect right, so it's mm-hmm. all like everything is like the limit is within, and I wonder if there's. Can you think of a? Is there a Spike Lee example where actually no, the limit is this external thing that's so it is a Kantian, or is mm. he is he just sort of he's just a Hegelian filmmaker? And that's, well, I, th- I think he's a Hegelian filmmaker. What I think with just to to put a bow on the Lynch thing is I I think yeah. there is a difference when you're doing a, like a kind of a supernatural evil. That's what. I, that's kind of more my thing. I like, see. I and, see. Because I, I, 
I, I wonder if, if Lynch isn't more Kantian. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're well, right. I, think I mean, that's what you're films, saying about Blue I, I'm saying I think in the films. That's what I, that might be yeah, yeah, yeah. my, my so take. So like Elephant, yeah. like Elephant Man would be a real Kantian film, right? Yeah. 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 Would it be? I, I, th- I mean, I, is, although, it, well, it depends on what, what's your, well, because what does, uh, what's the, what's the limit that the, uh, that the, the, is the if the elephant man is the limit? He's the then, limit figure. Then, right? then, then that's internal. I think. Although, yeah, because we is, have to. I mean, the whole point is, I am that thing. Right. Like exactly. that's how that's yes. how you're supposed to respond as a spectator. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it would be uh, the 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 the, the content. So <laughs> so okay. So in Twin Peaks, <laughs> yeah. Or or uh, uh, he moves to this Hegelian because he's adopting the serial form. I accept yeah. that totally. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he starts out. I I think the film we need to mention is Eraserhead, right? Like yeah, he yeah, starts yeah. out yeah. like that's the real Kantian film. Like he's yes. in this strange universe. All these things are happening that he can't that that are absolute. Like he he. He can't really orient himself because he doesn't he doesn't grasp what are the limits of his of possible experience for him. Yeah. I'm thinking of Henry Spencer, the the hero of the of the film. Yeah. And so it's such a strange universe for that reason. But it's a Kantian I think it's a Kantian universe. I don't know. It's an interesting thing to it, think about filmmakers and t- like where does the limit function for them? No, right? I love like, it, and I, I like your point about Spike. I think I think that um, I certainly am not claiming that like uh, the the standalone form is Kantian, like it just or and that the. But, the but I think is, what you would say I, is there's something conducive to Kantianism about yeah, the filmic form itself, I, right? I do. The film, uh, yeah, I not would say the that. series. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think that I, I think that. that has to be true. I, and then, so the more mainstream the film, if it's just like, if it's a what the what the French New Wave love to call a metteur en scène, right? Like somebody, they, <laughs> right. they made this great op. It's so condescending. It's great. <laughs> they, they called if you're like Howard Hawks or Hitchcock, you're you get to be an auteur within mm-hmm. the system. And if you're just like somebody punching out films like they're very mean to Billy Wilder for instance they're like yeah, he's yeah. just a metteur en scène right like I don't know <laughs> Double Indemnity is pretty great but it's pretty great uh, yeah. but, but, they're, but for them that's just a you know you can just it's a stamp that you can anybody could do it it's a right the, 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 in a certain way and and Wells thought this too that the that, that cinema unlike say the novel mm-hmm. you can be very mediocre as a director and the form itself Will will guide you, yeah. And so you can you can do something that's that's okay. And I wonder if that's due to this Kantian inherent Kantianism of the system, where you don't have to wrestle so much with an internal limit, but mm-hmm. as long as you grasp, you don't try to transcend the limits yeah. of the form, then you're you're kind of okay. Well, Todd, yeah. because isn't it? I mean, this this just kind of goes to like to Wells's point, or like, but he's not talking about anything serial. But in the series like if 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 you're mediocre and but and it plays out long enough like people will lose interest and it will fall apart and you'll have to do something to either get people back or to like re-wrestle your world of course which is not to say that there aren't like that all series are amazing but like it's it's the hardest it's much harder to finish a series than a film there's no question yeah yeah that's that's true we can count on one hand the number of good endings to a series and the number of great filmic endings i think we could probably get up to 
probably a hundred pretty quickly. Well, isn't like it the really, other, is, really isn't good? It, really, I would good. Fra- I'd phrase it the opposite way of you, which is that like it's almost impossible to come up with like a list of the the great filmic because there's just so many. But like, there's of too course, many. We, that's what I'm saying. Name, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, really good. Like, not just yeah. like uh, okay, but like really like, you know, I could I could just sit on the top of my head. Like, I just say, okay, is there. The end of the conversation, the yeah. end of, you know, the end of Fahrenheit 451 for God's yeah. sake. Like, the, like they're just, you just can't, the end of the third man. You just, yeah. they're, they're just, they're just, they, you can't, if you know anything about the history of cinema, you can't stop. Once you start playing that game, you just couldn't stop. But yeah. with television, I think if we got past one hand, we'd be, that'd be pretty good. And part of it, just to, to be fair, especially in American television, uh, is that, uh, Jason Mattel has the, the nice line complex TV is that uh, you know every series has a beginning but not every series has an ending I mean like they all end but yeah. not every single yeah, yeah, one but they're not the, the ending is, it's end. more external right yeah. I, I get it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so there's, there's that but, part but of I do too, think but it has the ones to do that with are this, yeah. I think it has to do with this Hegel versus Kant question yeah. right that, yeah. that that what Kant is so concerned with is keeping uh, uh is keeping ourselves within a certain limit yeah. that is absolute. And although you wouldn't use the term absolute, <laughs> uh, the Hegelian term <laughs> I imported into him. Uh, yeah. But I think you, you that put that's your disease the, in him, Todd. That's what you I just put my, <laughs> That's a good blue velvet illusion. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I think that that's, but, but I think that's the, that's the key thing that, that if you, the, the recognition of the external limit is for Kant, this incredible, philosophically freeing thing. And I think that's what we're seeing in these films, right? That they have this mm-hmm. real Kantian recognition almost of like, we're not, we're, we can't try to do too much here because there's certain conf- confines of the form. That, and, and, and then I think you get disaster when you have films that try to go too far. Like I think one of the things that seems to be true of Scorsese is that he doesn't recognize, at least recently, the limit of the spectator's attention span, right? <laughs> there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of limit that that is that that filmmakers it's part of the contract with the spectator, but maybe mm. it's more than that. Maybe yeah. it's part of like the limit of reason. That's the, or this the, the limit of the understanding. You can't go beyond the certain point. And if you do, it fails. I think that's that that seems to me like a real Kantian Kantian yeah. point about cinema. No, it's really great. It's um so the I I love that little uh, the 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 media mega minute. I think we just we just had here for um for for Cotton Hagel. I think it plays out a lot of nice differences. I to um we can continue with the film thing if uh, if it serves the idea. I want to ask you this question is yeah. um this is uh so we're both reading um as I mentioned uh, earlier, the uh, the copy of Critique of Pure Reason that I gave to my friend that I found, had a very hard time reading, uh, I do not think was one that was translated by, uh, it's Paul Geyer and... Uh, Alan Wood, I think. Or Alan they Wood. did the Cambridge edition, yeah. I think he probably Cambridge. had the Norman Kemp Smith translation, which for a long time was the, was the, the standard one. I'm going to say that is likely, um, even though I cannot uh, verify that at this particular time. But the point about this and I want to get into uh, this like a little little translation thing that I think we uh, both really appreciate is yeah. um, and you want to play out the German I think for us is yeah. the the relation between um, thinking and cognizing yeah. and also the 
decision to uh, make sure that those are uh, translated differently, I think is, is a huge, huge thing for uh, this English uh, edition of Critique of Pure Reason and, and really does get at uh, what Kant is trying to do in a way that earlier editions uh, elided. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. true, right? Like that that you can... I, I, I would have to look at the Kemp Smith translation to know what he did with this, but I think that, that there's a tendency... So the two German words are erkennen, which can mean to, to, to think or to know something, and then denken, which means to think. So, so uh, as you said... Uh, Geyer and Wood translate Erkennen as cognize, it's a cognition, which is a, not inaccurate, but a little distinctive. And then Denken is just think, denk, think. Uh, so, the, so it really gets to this nice distinction that Kant makes that will end up being hugely problematic for the, his followers in the German idealist tradition that between, okay, we can cognize our appearances, which means that we can think about what they are and how they relate, but we can only think the thing in itself. So we can only think that it exists as a thing mm-hmm. in itself. So that's, mm-hmm. we can't think what they are. So that's the difference for him. So thinking something just means you grasp it as that it, it is. And then what it is, is as they're translating it, Erkin and Cognize. And I think right. that's a really, I th- I'm glad they preserved that in the translation because I think that, it, it it it's how that is how Kant gets around this problem of wait a minute we're able to grasp that there is a thing in itself but we can't say anything about it that seems mm-hmm. contradictory and well Kant's saying well no we can we see that it is or think that it is but we can't think anything about what it is and and I think that. That will be an issue. Yeah, <laughs> that will yeah. be a big issue for everybody after Kant. Everyone's like, well, that's just ridiculous. That nobody accepts that. But I don't think it's I think if you put it in terms of the different terms, the different words, and then you think about, okay, I can know that there is something without knowing anything about it, that doesn't seem so crazy. Although if you try to think of an example of that, it mm. you become hard pressed, right? Like, yeah. like, 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 let's take the thing that seems the most foreign to us, like the black hole, right? Like, sure, we don't just think that it is. We we know certain things about it, right? You know, we can all repeat these mantras like "not even light can escape" or something, right? Right, uh, right. You know, it's all these things about. But we so I I I I don't know that I can think of it. I know Kant doesn't like the example, but I don't know yeah. that I can think of an example where. I mean, in a way, this would be his point because he said the thing is itself is totally outside of the realm of appearances, and my, all my examples would be appearances. So, in a sense, yeah. the example right. would disprove his entire point. But my my the, what I'm trying to get across is that it's it's it seems a little dubious and that's why everybody Fichte, Schelling, Hegel would all say, Hoderlin would all say sorry, you can't keep up that distinction. Um, my question is that does this go back and come back to um, the ground because or, or, or grounding because yeah. is, it, is it that like how um, or, or does this end up being conflictual for him? What I'm trying to get at is um, He's so he's he's trying to get he's trying to get at how 
I think he's trying to get at both things. What what is the ground and how does it work? Like the 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 grounding in in, in metaphysics, uh, or or is is that where he has the hard limit that we're only finding how what the what the grounding is and then how it works? Uh, we can't is, say anything about. We can't say anything about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that is yeah, so that's where yeah. so that's where it is. So yeah, that, he's and, really like limiting. He solves the metaphysical problems by saying, "Sorry, we can't really say anything about that." Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So that's what he's doing, and and yeah. So there's not. I think he says something like, "We can't think the unconditioned without contradiction." Yeah. 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 Right. That's, so that's that, exactly right. That that I think is his way of saying, "Yeah, we can't get to that ground because." I mean, this will be in the transcendental dialectic, the final part of the of the critique. He'll be saying, "Oh, any attempt to think that leads to antinomies, right? Leads to contradictions." So, yeah. so yeah. Mm. So he's so so in a way, the unconditioned and the transcendent mm-hmm. are synonyms, and the transcendental is 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 the opposite. So it's a it's a ground that's not an outside. Right, so it's that's yeah. that's that's what Kant really likes about the move from the transcendent to the transcendental. That that it 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 it, it gets out of this having to it's out of this problem of the beyond, mm-hmm. and, and 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 installs a limit without uh, cognizing the beyond. Just thinking it, thinking mm-hmm. the beyond without cognizing it. So that's that's the that's really yeah. what he's what he's up to. And then, you know, he, and then one of the other things I think is really, and he, what he thinks he, he this is part of his, I don't, you could call it arrogance. I just think it's uh, clear sightedness about how impressive his book is. He says, I've introduced a Copernican revolution into metaphysics. And I think that's exactly <laughs> right. He, just like, so Copernicus, the whole point was we, we see this movement in the sky and we think, Oh, things are moving around us. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, no, we're the ones moving. And it just, because we're moving, it looks like the things in the sky are moving. And same thing, Kant's bringing the, bringing the emphasis away from the object world and bringing it into subjectivity. This is why I think this is true, that Kant is the first philosopher or well-known philosopher to make mm-hmm. widespread use of the term subject. Interesting. Is, again, the same, yeah. it's the same word in... German and English and, and and French actually and Spanish too I think uh, that 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 the that and I think that's I think that's not a coincidence mm-hmm. right like I don't think it's just oh by chance Kant no because it could have been Descartes right like why wasn't it Descartes it could have mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. but he tends to talk about consciousness or but but it's Kant really who talks about subjectivity because what he's doing is moving the the point of emphasis from the world of objects into subjectivity that it's us walking or things look like they're moving because we're walking around that's basically his right i mean that's just a kind of simple way of putting it but i think that's what he that's what he thinks no that's uh no that's really interesting uh, and very uh i think very helpful for this um uh and generative for, for this uh for this problematic that that is is introduced because Cause he he thinks this way like 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 doesn't he? I guess you can, you can totally see like opening up this uh, subjective realm, and I mean yeah. that not not in the normal 
in the regular way you'd right. hear the word subjective, right. Right. but this right. like realm of the subject. Okay, in opening yeah. up the subjective realm. He also, I think, opens himself up to, well, then why can't we do this other thing that you're saying we can't do? I know, I know. Yeah. Which is why he writes the second edition, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's like, he's like, oh, I put all this emphasis on subjectivity. But what he wants to show is, I think he understands that's the danger, what you just said. Yeah. Like, everything's going to be subjective in the, in our modern sense of, you know, you can think whatever you want or whatever. Right, 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 right. Uh, Yeah. But, 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 you know how uh, Slavoj says that fantasy is uh, subjectively objective, right? Okay, like it's, sure. It's within the subject, obviously, because of fantasy, but it's this objective thing that we don't have subjective control over, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is what Kant is after, that he's after yeah. what's objective within this structure of subjectivity. So what, and and he wants to establish these, categories that govern uh, our understanding in order to show, well, this is, these are operative for everyone. And if you're recounting something that, or experiencing something that doesn't obey the categories, it's not objective. So it's yeah. a dream or yeah. it's, a, it's a private little thing, but it's not objective. And so in a way saying, you can, if you follow me, we can tell, he's a, in a certain way, isn't he a kind of anti? He thinks, and I don't think it ultimately. I think it ultimately breaks down. But he thinks he's an antidote to the to this kind of Trump, Putin, uh, yeah. Bolsonaro, mm-hmm. uh, Modi world, right? Where all it is is truth is just what I say it is. Yeah, because Kant wants to say, well, no, if it doesn't, your little private thing, if it doesn't obey the categories then it's not, we know that it's not objective. So Mm -hmm. even though it all comes from the subject, there still is this real uh, attention to objectivity in Kant that I think is, I think that's, I think that's what he thought he was doing. uh, I really like this. So like the, like the fascistic move is to, um, is to, on the one hand, you have complete relativism that like no, like no one should tell you what to what to think or or feel, and also I am the center of truth, and so it's this this complete relativism and this total like uh, like objectivity, like the okay. yeah, good, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely right, Ryan. My question is, how was yeah. this? How was how did any leftist in human history ever think that relativism was a, a emancipatory gesture? Yeah, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's, no, it's, it's a absurdity, absurdity, yeah. it's absurdity, and I think that's part of the critique of Kant, right? That he's too universalist. Yeah, but sure. that's what's great about Kant. <laughs> yeah. great about Kant. I there's think. a line. There's a uh, so there's something that, that Joan would say uh, in in class, and I in our conversation, it's now it's making it. A, I understood what she meant when she said it, um, and then years later, understood it a different way, and now I'm getting another edge to it. But she would say. Um, there can be many interpretations of something, but there cannot be any. And <laughs> I, I, I always like that very much. Like it, it's, and I, I, th- I thought this is a pretty good 
uh, I thought this was a pretty good antidote to the, sometimes you, you run into this thing where it's like, it comes from students who don't want to feel like they're, they're wrong from, for saying something about like all art is subjective and it's like, okay, it's not, that doesn't mean like your evaluation that like, sure, whatever. That's not, that's not the, that's not the point here. The, it's you can't say like I always use to give this like sort of stupid extreme example like if I if I ask for a five page paper and then you hand me a post it note with <laughs> with some words on it I'm under no obligation to be like oh my goodness I couldn't see how what I was asking for was really this post it note you have seen beyond my perception of the five page paper and given me something that I could not comprehend as being a part of it from my limited subjective perspective. Like you right. gave me something like that's, that's not, you know, you, you don't, if, if you know, you see a movie again, you say whatever you want about a movie, like one, one way or the other, but you can't, after you saw a movie, you can't be like, Oh, that's a pretty good car. Right, <laughs> like that's just not right. that there. There are some, right. and I guess this would be in a way that making a Kantian point. Like I don't know that, that is making call, a Kantian. Yeah, point. exactly. Yeah, like yeah. that's a that's a category. Like you know, you're um, I give right. Like you're that. you're you're rejecting causality, right? Like yeah, you're not. Yeah, yeah, or, or identity, whatever the category would be. But you're clearly reject, rejecting a few categories when you try to make that claim. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's like abs- a it's yeah. a well, it's like a kind of a um a. I mean, it's even it's beyond that's even beyond sophistry. But like, I, like I don't, I'm not right. sure what what that is. But it, but it it, it it plays into that thing, which is just like uh, that nothing, everything, everything is uh, is what I can say that it is. And then when you, I mean, when you op- when you open up that kind of thing, then like I, I, I you know, nothing like what is it? It, it kind of goes like this, like um, nothing, nothing means anything in particular, but anything in particular can mean everything to you. And that's all that we can really do. And I, right. And then there's, so then there's no urgency or push to do anything. Like there, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no categorical imperative or what I might say. There's no existential imperative for one thing over another. There, there's just a total, I don't know, like it's total flatness of, uh, of choice. Like you so suddenly, suddenly logic becomes, I mean, you and I both like Chipotle, but suddenly logic becomes ordering from Chipotle. Right. right. Just right. there are all these just different options and you, and then, and it's a, it's a refusal of Jones thing. Like suddenly you can't have, it's all interpretations and they're all equally valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that in Burlington, Vermont, Chipotle is open for like four hours a day. So, so <laughs> I like what well, you just made me fantasize because I can't go to Chipotle for dinner because it's closed at two o'clock in the afternoon. I have to eat dinner at two in the afternoon. <laughs> Because they can't get any labor. So I'd like potential workers at Chipotle to come and move to Burlington. I mean, I would go work there myself if I didn't already have another job just to yeah. keep them open. Anyway, uh, but but I, that, that's, that's a whole other Kantian dilemma at stake right. there. I think that I, – I, I do think that we should – we should uh, before we stop. We should cover this this the the what he gets to at the end, right? Where he's mm-hmm. where he's where he says, "I think that my critique can solve what he thinks is the great scandal of philosophy that we don't yet have any proof of external things, right?" Mm-hmm. And he, it's isn't it ironic that he who's 
reducing our experience to appearances <laughs> thinks <laughs> that in doing that, he's providing a proof of the existence of external things, right? Yeah. Because he thinks in order to have any sense of my own existence in time, I need the permanence outside of me of external things that's not affected by time. So, so he, he links, and we'll talk about this later when we get to the, the transcendental aesthetic, which is the first part of, the, of mm-hmm. the book about space and time. But he links time to my internal uh, subjectivity. Mm-hmm. And he links space, obviously, to the external. And then he says, but in order to know this internal temporality, I have to need, I need this thing, external thing in itself that stays the same. So I think that, that it's interesting that he would think of himself as solving the scandal of philosophy when other people would say, no, actually, you're making things far worse. You're like, you're, you're bringing everything, they're making everything about subjectivity. What are you doing? And yeah. another, just an interesting point that, that Heidegger later claimed that the real scandal of philosophy is that we are still trying to get proofs for the existence of external things <laughs> because mm, mm, you thought mm. you can't prove it. It's, you know, our being in the world, as Heidegger would put it, is just, right. it's part of our, is part of what we are. And so you can't, the idea of a proof of external things is, would, for, is for Heidegger absurd. So it's a direct, that line by Heidegger is a direct jibe at Kant, who he, he ordinarily, li- he prefers much to Hegel. He, he, he likes mm-hmm. Kant a lot, uh, but that's a jibe at him. So I think, uh, th- I, I find it funny just that Kant thinks that he's doing that uh, and that that's how he concludes the preface which tells you I think why he wrote it mm-hmm. right? that he really yeah. doesn't want to be th- seen as a skeptic yeah right 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 that's that's a that's a big that's a big word that comes up uh, a, uh, a number of different times I can I ask you a question this is a total yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a bit of an aside but also something do you like that um the guy and Wood uh, puts they put certain words and phrases in bold. Do you like that, or do you? Uh, that? I think it's Kant. I don't. I think that oh, they're. I think that they're absolutely. Um, I was reading it in German, so oh no, I don't think it's Kant because I didn't. I can't remember, but I, I'll, okay. I'll pay attention to that next pay time. Attention. If 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 it's from Kant, it's okay, but I don't think. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> anything in bold. In, okay, but uh, I, I I I was reading the German, so I don't I don't know. I found uh, it I found it helpful, but then also I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to be condescended to. That was sort no, of no. If I, it's not if, if that's not <laughs> that's in con, it's inexcusable. And okay. I I think it would have. It I probably don't think is. it would have to be. It yeah. probably I mean, is. There's a lot in the, in the German edition. The entire preface is in italics. I see. So there's that, but they mm-hmm. don't do that. They don't follow that. And then the no. the, re- the rest of the. Starting with the introduction, it's in it's in Roman. So, okay, yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Um, and it, that neither, could I don't think Kant did that, but that's funny. Neither here nor there. Anyway. The back to the I mean to the uh, to the more substantive point of the not being understood as a as a, as a skeptic. I think that it, it is it is really interesting um, with Kant is that he so and I think what we want to try to accomplish or the the overriding goal if we could have accomplished one thing with this episode is that um, there. Were there were um, historical, but also uh, metaphysical in two different ways, uh, and imperative reasons why Kant would have written this, and why and why he did this, and why he took 
the yeah. argument in in the way that he did, and the it's it, it's really it's fascinating. You you can see you can see why people would gravitate toward Cotton, why they would depart, because on the one hand, he is you know making the uh, he's moving from the object to the subject like clearly like so he's like like yes okay so he's giving this kind of uh authority onto the onto the side of uh of of me the 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 viewer the speaker the right. seer the writer the thinker and then also saying but not like this and then there's there are these hard lines or these hard limits and he's you know he's trying to 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 say that like look there there are things as they are, there's like there's appear- there are appearances, and then there's there are things uh, in, in in themselves that and there there's a realm that is just it's not knowable, and that is not. But you know, don't be a skeptic, and like this idea that there are just just this vast quantities of things we can't know. It's actually important to know what we can know and to know where the limit is on what we don't. But you can also see like he's created. Like it's like that. I, I I told you that I learned this from from Kara. It's like he created an inherent vice. Like the 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 yeah. this idea. I'm. I think it comes from. I don't know if it comes from paper, uh, paper making paper. But Kara was telling me that in the 1950s, uh, a lot of paper that was made, particularly in the in the West, um, up until in, into the 80s, um, had this. Uh, I think it's li- this lignant in it. There's just some material that. That made it uh, easier and and cheaper to uh, to produce and to get more things out, but it guaranteed that it would degrade e- even if you treated it perfectly and in in like perfect uh, like antiquarian conditions. That it yeah. has this inherent vice. The seed of its destruction is within yeah. it from the very beginning, but it also needs that to even be a thing at all. Yeah, and yeah. you could sort of see how Kant d- did this to himself. Yeah. And right. but he, it was, I think it's also necessary. Like I think he did spy, the, like a very like a, 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 a huge uh, lacuna in the way. Um, yeah, certainly metaphysical uh, writing was being theorized and thought, and yeah. it's it's just it's it's really interesting. Like the like the he wants to come in and he ha- and sometimes in arrogance with this like the full freight of his thinking. And then he puts in these limits that I think it's, we're going to come over this. I think we've, we tried to, to, to show this here, but it's really important to know why there are these limits instead of just going like, yeah, he has this limit. And then here's a way to go beyond it in Hegel or whatever. It's like, but why is there that limit for Kant and and what's productive about it? Yeah. 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 Absolutely true. Absolutely true. What do you think the lesson is, right? I mean, we covered a lot of, there was a lot. There's a lot of good ones. I um I have a little I have a little thing for you. I think I think the lesson is uh is watch Blue Velvet, and I'm very persuaded to do something we've never done before, which okay. is to follow up uh, an episode with the lesson from the previous one, because I re- I think it'd be really useful for 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 people to uh, to grab on to this Kantian thing. Like that that we're uh, we're trying to to pull out, and then okay. you know we'll do. Then maybe episode after we'll we'll do whatever. But I think it'd be pretty good for for us yeah. to fo- wow. follow up okay. with uh, with the lesson. Okay, sounds good, Ryan. Right. Okay, over now, <laughs> over now. <laughs>